For the longest time, I thought if I could just see a miracle, I'd never have trouble believing again. You know, we all have those moments, those seasons in our life where we're just filled with doubts, even preachers. <laughs> there are moments when we struggle to believe. So for the longest time, I thought if I could just see an actual miracle, that, that would solve everything. And from that moment on, I'd never have trouble believing again. And from time to time, we all think that. From time to time, we get this idea in our heads that all my doubts would go away. If only God would, and then you fill in the blank. If only God would heal my friend of cancer. If only God would bring my child back to church. If only God would get my son to stop drinking. If only God would give me this amazing answer to prayer. If God would just honor this one simple request, I'd never, ever doubt him again. But that's not true. That's just not. Think about it. You think about all the people down through the years who have actually witnessed something miraculous, and yet that still didn't persuade them to believe. Ten different times Pharaoh heard God predict the plagues, the plagues that were going to come upon the land of Egypt. And each time that miracle occurred, it occurred just as the Lord said it would. Happened just like he predicted. And then he was there that day, standing there watching as God parted the waters of the Red Sea and watched as he led his people safely to the other side. And yet after all these displays of the supernatural power of God... Pharaoh still wouldn't bow down, worship the Lord. Or you think about all the religious leaders, and there were a lot of them. All the religious leaders who opposed Jesus. And how on numerous occasions they saw with their own eyes. They saw Jesus heal the sick. They watched as he cast out demons. Why, some were even there that day when he raised a man from the dead. What more proof could you need? They still wouldn't believe. Or how about that day, John chapter 6, when Jesus fed more than 5,000 men, not counting all the women and children. So if you put that all together, there may have been as many as 10 to 15,000 people there that day. Thousands watching as Jesus takes a little boy's lunch, five loaves, two fish, and from that meager beginning, he feeds everybody in the crowd. Why? He gives people a second and third helping. Anybody wanted more, he gave them more. What an amazing miracle. And after witnessing something like this, how could you doubt that Jesus is Lord? And yet before that day was over, everybody in that crowd turned and walked away. They walked away from Jesus. They refused to follow him. Even after seeing and benefiting from this amazing miracle, they still were not convinced to surrender their lives to the Lord. Show me a miracle and then I believe. It's not true. There's more to finding faith than that. So maybe the problem is this. Maybe sometimes I just get the wrong image in my mind. You know, sometimes when I think about somebody being strong in the faith and close to God and serious about living for the Lord, I get this picture in my head. I picture somebody who's always smiling. They never have any problems. Every prayer they pray is always, is always answered in a positive way. They never get mad. They never get irritated with others. And they understand everything they read in the Bible. I think about somebody who's strong in the faith. Sometimes that's the kind of picture I get in my head. But you know what's wrong with that picture? No such person exists. <laughs> Finding faith is not easy. It's a struggle for everybody. But it's a battle that's worth fighting. Ben Young tells about a friend of his, a 14-year-old girl who'd been battling cancer for years. And when she first started the fight, she started to go through those grueling treatments of chemo and radiation. She kept a notebook. Every day she'd write down her thoughts just to kind of keep track of the struggles, just to kind of keep a diary of how God was helping her to get through this painful ordeal. And it was painful. I mean, it was a long journey and a lot of suffering along the way. And even though the doctors did everything they could, eventually that young lady passed away and went home to be with the Lord. Well, it was after the funeral that her parents found the notebook, the journal. And as they opened it up, they found a card on the inside, a, just a simple three-by-five card. And on the card were four words, 
The moon is round. And they were puzzled by that. The moon is round. What did she mean by that? Why, why would she hang on to something like this? What did that phrase mean to her? The moon is round. So they began to read the journal. And one day they came across this entry. One afternoon, as that young lady was sitting in the medical clinic getting ready to go through another round of chemo, this is what she wrote in the diary. You know, some nights the sky gets so dark, I can only see just a sliver of the moon. But on those nights when I can only see a part of the moon, I know the moon is still round. Well, so it is with this cancer that I'm fighting. When the treatments are brutal and I get sick, and I know it's going to be days and days before I feel good again. On those dark days when my body is weak and my spirits are low, on those dark days, I know I'm probably just going to get a sliver or a slice of the love and presence of God. But even in the midst of that darkness, I know the moon's still round. God's still real. On those days when I can't see him and I can't feel him and I don't understand what he's doing, yet I know he's still there for me. The moon is round. That's the kind of faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. Understand something. Understand what is the difference between somebody who's a Christian and somebody who's not. You know, when Wall Street, when Wall Street takes a nosedive, we lose money out of our retirement accounts just like everybody else. When a terrorist rams a jet into the World Trade Center, we lose friends. And we become overwhelmed with grief just like everybody else. When a friend betrays us, when a client says no, when our son doesn't make the team, when our daughter gets passed over for the promotion, we hurt, we struggle, we feel disappointed just like everybody else. Just like everybody else in this city, in this county, every day we feel the stress of life. Every day we struggle to keep our weight down. We struggle to keep our spirits up. Every day life is a battle for us. So what's the difference between someone who's a Christian and someone who's not? The difference is this. Every day the Christian makes this choice. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to, I'm going to make this conscious decision. I'm going to take hold of the hand of God and say, Lord, walk with me today. Walk with me. Share this journey with me. You see, faith is not this rush of excitement, this moment of inspiration, this sudden feeling of ecstasy. Wow, I got it. I got the feeling now. I'm ready to go out and do something special for God. No, some days faith is just simply making the choice. I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. Which means even on those mornings when you're fatigued and you're feeling blue, even on those days when you've already dropped the ball and blown the assignment and made a mess out of everything, even on those days when you know in advance what's waiting for you there at the office, that nagging critic, that belligerent boss, boss that's going to be on your case all day long, you still get out of bed and you keep moving forward and you keep praying this prayer. God, take hold of my hand. Walk with me today. I don't want to do this. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary down in South America, and she tells about a day when she and a friend of hers were going back to this village way in the back part of the jungle, a place that was going to be hard to reach, but they wanted to help some people there. And there were no roads, no clear paths. It's one of those journeys where you just kind of make your own way through the bush, pushing your way through all the tree limbs and the bushes, and all along the way you just keep praying hard. There are no snakes or jaguars along the way. That's why she had this friend with her, a man who was a native of Ecuador. He'd been out in this jungle many times before. He knew where he was going, so she was following him. And Elizabeth Elliot says, we got about halfway to our destination when we encountered this challenge. There was this deep ravine where the only way to get across was to chop down a tree and let the tree kind of fall across the gap and kind of make your own bridge, which is exactly what her friend did. And once he got that tree in place, 
He didn't hesitate at all. He hopped right on the train and began to walk across. And Elizabeth Ellis said, I couldn't do it. <laughs> said, I was just scared to death, my feet frozen to the ground. I kept staring down in that deep ravine and thinking to myself, Lord, if I get on that tree, which looks awfully narrow to me, if I get on that tree, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to lose my balance. I'm going to fall. God, all these years here in Ecuador, you've asked me to do some hard things, but this, <laughs> that's too much. I can't do it. Well, her friend got almost all the way across, turned around. He saw what the problem was. So he came back and he extended his hand. He said, Miss Elliot, Miss Elliot, I'll help you. So he gently placed her on the tree. He put one arm around her waist, held out the other arm so she could put both of her hands there, try to maintain her balance, and very slowly and very carefully he guided her across the danger. That's the picture that we have here in Hebrews chapter 11. In every one of these stories, we're watching men and women go through all kinds of dangers and trials and hardships. In every one of these stories, we see men and women who are experiencing all kinds of frustrations and disappointments and setbacks. And yet, in the midst of all these troubles, they have this confidence. I'm not making this journey alone. Someone else has got a hold of me. Someone else is guiding me. And that someone else is the Lord. Now I want you to see how this happens. Let's take a look at one of the stories and see how God helped. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. And let me give you a little background just so we can appreciate what we're going to read in this verse. The nation of Israel has been living in the land of Egypt for almost 400 years. And during that time, they've just really grown and prospered. I mean, they have become this mighty community. And that's kind of threatening to the Pharaoh. So to remove the threat, Pharaoh forces them into slavery just to kind of keep everything under his thumb. He forces them to be his slaves, hoping that he's going to break their backs and kill their spirits and keep them from growing anymore. And yet even though they become slaves, the nation of Israel, they just keep growing anyway. So Pharaoh has to try another approach. He turns up the heat. Now he commands the Hebrew midwives, anytime you're helping any of the Hebrew women give birth to a baby, if that baby turns out to be a boy, you murder that child. Don't let him live. But the midwives fear God more than they fear Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh learns that the midwives are not going to cooperate, now he realizes he has to try a different strategy. So now Pharaoh tells every Egyptian, you keep your eyes open for those Hebrew babies. You hear or see one of those babies and that baby turns out to be a boy. Here's what you're supposed to do. You take that baby and toss him into the Nile River. A river is just loaded with crocodiles. You take that baby and you toss him into the Nile River. And then you stand there and watch and make sure either the child drowns or he's eaten by one of those crocs. Isn't that awful? What a scary time in which to live. What a scary time in which to try to live for the Lord. What a scary time in which to try to raise a family for God. But that's the kind of environment that these two people are living in that we're going to read about here in verse 23. This father, this mother, this husband, and this wife, his name's Amram and her name's Jochebed. That's the kind of environment they're living in. And it's in this kind of environment that every day they make this choice to live by faith. I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to do, regardless of the circumstances, I'm going to do what's right in his eyes. So watch what happens. Verse 23. It says, by faith, the parents of Moses, Amram and Jochebed, they hid this baby. They hid Moses for three months after he was born. They're going to defy the danger. We're not going to let Egypt get our boy. And in making that decision, that means they are putting their lives on the line. They're putting themselves at risk. Why? Why take the risk? Well, the writer of Hebrew gives us two reasons. Number one, it says they saw on the very day that Moses was born, they could tell this is no ordinary. 
Now, let's be honest. All parents feel that way. The day your child was born, you, you just knew that's the cutest kid in the whole world. And as, as a parent, you're right to think that. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He's preaching a sermon, and he makes reference to the same moment in time. And it's what he says there in Acts chapter 7 that helps us to better understand what we're reading here in Hebrews chapter 11. There in Acts chapter 7, he says, On the day when Moses was born, both Amram and Jochebed, the father and mother, they could tell there's something extraordinary about this child. So Stephen phrases it like this. He says, They saw that he was beautiful in the eyes of God. Meaning, we recognize God's got a role for this boy. He's going to grow up to make a difference in this world. He's going to grow up to do some great things for God, which means what for us? We've got to go to bat for him. We've got to give him a chance to do that. We've got to do whatever it takes to preserve his life. So for three months, they hide the baby in their home. And then after three months, that's not going to work anymore. So we've got to come up with a different way to preserve his life. Well, one day, the mother of Moses, Jochebed, She's doing her devotions. She's making, doing some reflecting on the life of Noah, thinking about Noah and how did God help him. And all of a sudden it hits her. Hey, he went through a great flood. How did he make it safely through that danger? God had him build an ark. That's what I'll do for Moses on a miniature scale. See, in the Hebrew language, the word ark only appears two times in the whole Old Testament, only twice. Once in the book of Genesis where you see... God tell, how God tells Moses how, the designs, how to build this giant cargo ship so he and his family, all those animals, they'll have a place of refuge. They can make it safely through that danger. They can make it safely through the flood. Well, the second time you read that word ark is in the book of Exodus, chapter 2, Jochebed, using the same kind of materials, same kind of design, just on a smaller scale. She builds this tiny houseboat. So as the baby Moses goes floating down the Nile River, He's, he has a place of refuge. He's going to be safe from all those angry crocodiles. So one of the reasons why they put their lives on the line says because they could tell there's something extraordinary about this. God has, some, he intends to do some special things through his life. So we've got to help, help get him to that place where God can do that. The second reason we're given why they go to bat, they put their lives on the line on behalf of Moses here in the, the last part of the verse, and they were not afraid of the king's eating. They're not afraid of Pharaoh. And don't misread that, because in the Greek behind this phrase, it, it could, you could also translate, and they would not give in to the fear. They're living in dangerous times. Nervous, yes. Anxious, yes. Scared, yes. But in spite of that fear, they would not let that fear that they felt, they would not let that fear dictate what they do. In spite of that fear, every day they made the choice, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to do, even though I'm nervous and scared and anxious, I'm going to do what is right in the eyes of God. Think of it like this. You've heard me use this analogy before. When you were a little child, remember how you get scared of the dark? Which meant at times going to bed at night was kind of hard to do. You're in that room all by yourself. You can't see a thing. And that's when you begin to hear all these strange noises, noises that you never noticed in that house before. What was that? And then your imagination begins to run wild. What's about to happen to me? And you get all worked up and you get scared and you begin to cry. And what happens? That's the point at which your father walks in. Somebody big and strong. Somebody kind and caring. And he sits on the edge of the bed and he doesn't scold you. Hey, big boys don't cry. No. No, I, I used to get scared like that as a kid too. It's all right. And then he puts his arms around you and he says, I'll just stay here with you. And all of a sudden, the fear goes away. Now, get this. It's still dark. 
The darkness hasn't disappeared. The darkness is still there. But now you know there's someone who's more than capable of taking care of me. They got their arms around me. I'm going to be all right. That's Amram and Jochebed. God's going to take care of us, and God's going to take care of the baby Moses. Now, I think it's fascinating. The, the writer of Hebrews stops here, but if you go back to the book of Genesis and watch how this story unfolds, how did God help? See, Amram and Jochebed figure the best way to rescue a child is get him as far away from Pharaoh as we possibly can. But God says, no, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. The best way to take care of this child, we're just going to put him right on Pharaoh's doorstep. You know, the very Nile River that the Pharaoh was trying to use to kill the baby is the very Nile River God's going to use to save the boy's life. Rather than take the baby away from the danger, God decides to actually use the danger to beat the enemy at his own game. You know, here's the baby Moses in that tiny houseboat, that miniature ark floating down the Nile River, his sister Miriam watching from the side. And it just so happens on that particular day as he's come floating down the Nile, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to the water too. That's no accident. That's the providence of God. That's God orchestrating the circumstances so the two of them will meet. She sees that little houseboat. She gets curious. They reel it in. She opens it up, and just like Amram and Jochebed, immediately she is taken by this child. This is no ordinary baby. There's something extraordinary about this boy. So she adopts him. She becomes the foster mother, and and Moses grows up in the palace of Pharaoh himself. Who would have imagined that? But then you begin to think as you go through the Bible, isn't that typical of how our God works? Think about the cross. Satan thought, I'll use this piece of wood. I'll use this instrument of death. I'll use this cross to destroy Jesus and bring his ministry to an end. I'll never have to deal with them again. But God takes that instrument of death and transforms it into an instrument of life. He creates an ark, a place of refuge, so that now when we unite ourselves with Christ because of what he did at the cross, now when we unite ourselves with him, we find ourselves in a place that makes us eternally secure. Don't you understand now what the Apostle Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 3? Our God can do so much more, way beyond anything we could think or imagine. One of the blessings of living here in America is this. If you happen to own a, own a business and that business gets into trouble, you know, the creditors are pressing in and it looks like everything's about to fold. You're about to lose everything you've got. There's a law in the books, a law that is set up for exactly that kind of situation, a law that is set up to protect you and give you a chance to get back on your feet again. It's called Chapter 11. And when you file under Chapter 11, what happens is for a period of time, they kind of hold the creditors at bay and they give you the time and space where you can just kind of reorganize everything and put your business back into place where it becomes profitable again and you can begin to pay off those debts. And as a business, you can once again get back on your feet. Well, it's the same kind of blessing that God offers to us as Christians. When you get into trouble, no matter what that trouble might be, of your own doing or because of somebody else, when you get into trouble, God says, file it under Chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. Learn to do what all these people here did. Reorganize your life around this principle, a principle of faith. A principle that says, no matter what kind of challenge you're facing, no matter what kind of trouble lies before you, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. God, take hold of my hand. Walk with me today. I don't want to do this alone. Will you do that? Will you put your faith in God? Will you let God? Take hold 
of your hand. Let's pray. God, life is hard, so difficult, always a challenge. God, it just seems like every day there's something new that pops up, something new that gives us another reason to worry or another reason for our hearts to be troubled. And it gets so discouraging. But God, that's exactly why we are here today. We don't want to face that challenge alone. God, we want to put our faith in you. So God, today we're asking, we're inviting you to come and take the lead in each one of our lives. Provide for our needs. Give us the resources to meet that challenge, the resources that come from your strength and power and wisdom. God, be our shepherd and show us the right way to go. And God, do it all for your name's sake so that your glory might be displayed in our lives. And God, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.